that a woman ended up with fetal remains in her lung. He induced an abortion on a nearly full-term baby who was then born in the toilet of a public restaurant. Her name is Philomena Grace. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to Out of Context. I know it has been a very long time, but I'm so excited to get started again. Um, we have some pretty exciting guests, and today I have Kristen Turner from POW and Pro-Life San Francisco. Um, she is actually with the organization that found the five babies that were murdered, um, a few potentially partial birth abortion. Um, Kristen sheds a new perspective on abortion as she is a self-proclaimed leftist, feminist, and atheist, but she's passionately pro-life, and I'm so inspired inspired by her. So I cannot wait to share with you guys this interview. Kristen's going to talk about the logistics of what happened with the five babies that were killed, um, some of the systems that benefit from abortion, and just some action items of ways that you can practically get involved. So without further ado, welcome to Out of Context. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for coming on Out of Context. I'm so excited to have you back. Um, Kristen is from Powell. I'll let her introduce herself. She's an amazing activist, and I'm just so excited to have you back. Thank you so much. Like you said, I'm with POW, which stands for the Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. And I'm also the Executive Director of Pro-Life San Francisco. And I'm just really grateful to be here and be able to have a platform to speak about these really important issues on. Well, thank you so much for coming. I'm so excited. We're going to get into some pretty serious topics today. Um, we're going to talk about Justice for the Five. For those of you who don't know, um, it was actually POW that found out about the five babies that were murdered. Um, and so I'm so excited that Kristen's going to be talking about to raise awareness about it. We're also going to be talking about the new California legislation. Um, and so I'm just going to be asking Kristen about AB2223. Um, and she recently shared that she actually went to the Capitol to talk about it, to protest it. So um, Kristen, initially, I know there's been a lot of talk about AB2223. Um, some people are saying that it's not a radical pro-choice um, bill, that's not a radical abortion bill, that people are just taking it out of context, that it doesn't um, affect infants. Um, I personally have not been able to, I've been reading different sources and I've genuinely been confused about the bill. Um, so would you be able to kind of share um, what it is and why people are so enraged about this bill? Yes. There are a lot of concerns about this bill, and I think that we can say, we can't really assume anybody's intentions with the bill, but I think that it's very, very dangerous, the precedent that this type of language sets. So for people who don't know, the author is Buffy Wicks, and they have been very active within pushing abortion in California. But this most recent bill has gotten so much controversy because of the poorly defined term perinatal that appears in the bill in the context it appears in. So the bill would make it illegal for the police to investigate the death of a child who is perinatal age due to a pregnancy-related outcome. And the reason that's so controversial is because perinatal, the term, is broadly, widely understood to include children even after they're born. And within the California bills that have been passed historically, it does include children who are past the age of birth and even up to a year after birth. And so people are saying, well, yes, the intention of this bill may be to prevent people who have had miscarriages from being, you know, unreasonably questioned. It also puts at risk the lives of unborn children and even born children because, you know, miscarriage or not miscarriage, but if someone were to give birth to a child who they then killed, it would be illegal to investigate that because it's the death of a child in the perinatal period due to a pregnancy related outcome. 
And it just sets a really dangerous precedent. And the bill authors and the legislators even said, yeah, we need to make amendments because, you know, we understand that this may have some dangerous wording in it. And when they made amendments, it didn't actually address the central concerns that people had about the bill. And now people are just enraged because they feel like they're being gaslit. They feel like they're being told that they're crazy when clearly many medical experts, activists, and people from the community who are concerned have come to speak about this. And even yesterday, we had over 2,000 pro-life people sign up to go lobbying and went and it took over an hour for all of the pro-lifers to go up, just say their name, who they're affiliated with, and their opposition, just one after another after another. And so when, when I was reading the bill, I didn't know that that language extended to a year. What I had read um, was a month. So I had no idea. Um, what are some ways that people, I know it mainly affects Californians because it is California legislation, but is how are how can people get involved? How can people um, speak up for these children? What are some ways that people can get involved? First and foremost, it's important that they join us the next time we go to lobby. I mean, if you follow Pro-Life San Francisco, you'll know when that is. We'll post about the next time we go to Sacramento. But the legislator is counting on us and pro-abortion politicians are counting on us to come once and then to completely forget about it. But we can't let them forget about that. We have to let them know that we're not going to stand down and we're going to continue to come and we're going to continue to make it difficult for them to ignore us. And so, you know, follow us on social media and find out when we're doing our next lobbying day. And then also, I would say it's really important to get involved with our UCSF campaign because we've been fighting this type of, you know, post-birth extremism for a long time. UCSF is the exact party that would benefit from laws like this. And this is who we're fighting against. So joining our UCSF campaign to expose people who actively benefit from laws that don't hold people accountable for the deaths of children after birth is a great way to help get involved in that. And then, of course, people need to call their legislatures and let them know how upset they are that this bill is being taken seriously and that nobody in, you know, it seems like no Democrats are really upset about this when, you know, me as a progressive, it is deeply upsetting and embarrassing that, you know, people who I most align with are supporting this. Absolutely. And for those of people, for the listeners who don't know um, what's going on with UC San Francisco, can you kind of briefly share a little bit of the issue of what's going on? Because I know Powell, I believe, was at Stanford, was at UC San Francisco, a few college campuses. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about that? Yes. So as many people may know, Teresa Bukovinak, who founded Powell, also founded Pro-Life San Francisco. So this issue of fetal organ harvesting and research is something that's very close to her and important to her. And she has made it such a huge issue and has emboldened me to take action on this. And so, yes, recently Powell has been on the West Coast fighting fetal tissue organ harvesting and all that type of stuff. But the problem with the University of California, San Francisco, is that they have admitted publicly and within their training courses for abortionists that they perform abortion procedures that have a 50% chance of live birth. So that is a second trimester induction between 20 and 24 weeks of gestation with no digoxin. And we have all the studies published about that that show that there's a 50.6% chance of live birth. And for, you know, younger ages, it's still up to 50% of the time that they could be born alive. And so they're doing these procedures with a high likelihood of live birth. And when we went to them through our public records request or Freedom of Information Act request, 
they said that they don't have any protocols for what happens if there's a live birth during an abortion. And so we know they're doing abortion procedures with a high likelihood of live birth. They have a reason to want these children to die and use their organs, and they don't have any protocols. So it's just abundantly clear that they're benefiting from this type of exploitation. And when we did an expose on them in partnership with one of our um, friends, Bettina Di Fiore, who works as a writer for live action, they, you know, they freaked out and PolitiFact even tried to do a smear campaign against us saying that it wasn't true. When one of the most valuable things we found from that is UCSF publicly admitting they had never had a live birth, which with this information we have is a statistical anomaly. So we functionally know that they're lying out of their teeth for, you know, their own benefit. And, it's just really scary that these type of laws are going to be put in place when they benefit people like this. Absolutely. I thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's so important for people to hear, especially people who are pro-choice and who are not aware of so many of the cruelties that are going on. Um, I know, for example, one of my friends, she's on the pro-choice side, but I had mentioned to her about um, prenatal, about research that they're doing on these aborted babies and she had no idea. So thank you so much for sharing about that, Kristen. Um, with Thanks. that, I would love to ask you about the five. Um, I know this is a super sensitive issue, but um, could you kind of just share how how came across um, the five babies, um, what happened and where you're kind of at right now? And I know it's kind of a loaded question, but if you could just um, start us off with how how came about this information. Of course. So they, of course, found these children at what's called the Washington Surgery Center. And to give a little bit of a background on Washington Surgery Center, this is one of the facilities that has been most concerning when it comes to the exploitive nature of the abortion industrial complex. So the Washington Surgery Center is known for medical malpractice and is known for their notorious abortionist, Cesare Santangelo, who in 2013, because of a live action undercover investigator, was caught on film admitting that he would let an infant born alive during an abortion die. And with that and having that hindsight, it's just absolutely disgusting to know what he's been doing since he's admitted to that. And because of those concerns, activists with the progressive anti-abortion uprising decided it'd be a good idea to go do what's called a pink rose rescue, which there's a lot of different stuff to cover when it comes to what rescue is. But for now, it's basically going into a facility and giving roses to people considering abortion and trying to help them choose life in whatever way we can. And they went and did that. And when they went in there, they met a woman who was going to have an abortion because she felt like it was her only choice. She was facing eviction because she didn't have the money to pay for her back rent. And activists with POW were able to get her between four and $5,000 to pay her back rent, and she chose life. And because of these experiences they had there and all of what we know about the Surgery Center, they decided, you know, this place needs more attention. So they went back for yet another rescue on March 25th. And when they went there, they noticed there was a truck outside with the label Curtis Bay Medical Waste on it. And if you've done sidewalk counseling, you probably know you may or may not have seen medical waste trucks coming to pick up the bodies of children. And so immediately they went to talk to them because as an organization, we know that it's not just the abortionist who is keeping abortion in place. It's the government. It's the intersecting interest of law enforcement, medical waste companies, and all these different parties who have an interest in the continued practice of abortion. So they obviously thought, you know, we should talk to him. So they went up to him and they said, do you know what's in that box? 
And he goes, no. And they say, is it from Washington Surgery Center? And he goes, I don't know. And obviously, I don't know, like, the exact details of the exchange or in what order the comments took place, but you can go watch a press conference for more details on that. But basically, they asked him what was in the box, and he didn't know, and they told him, making the reasonable assumption, since he's medical waste at an abortion facility, they said, it's dead babies. And immediately, he was shocked. He looked so afraid, like he had seen a ghost, and he just clearly was disgusted by that. And so... They asked him, like, do you go to a lot of abortion facilities? And he was just shaking. He goes, I I don't know if I do. Because, you know, as a medical waste driver, he's just going to pick stuff up. He doesn't look inside the boxes. So they asked him, you know, would you get in trouble if we took one of these? And he asked them what they would do with it. And they said, we'd give them a funeral and a burial. So because of that, he gestured at the box. He said, okay. He gave them consent to take it. And that's when Lauren took the box. And they immediately took it back to her apartment where they filmed pretty much everything. They have evidence of, you know, their first time seeing what was in the box and how horrifying that was. And there's video on our Instagram and photos of everything they saw in the box, but they found 110 small blue containers filled with the pulverized bodies of children, likely in the first trimester. And then they found five larger containers with, you know, what medical experts have estimated all of them viable, but many of them between the ages of 30 and 40 weeks gestation. So fully formed, some of them completely intact, like Christopher X was a completely intact baby boy. Harriet was nearly completely intact, but she had her brain crushed and her brains removed. So there's a large cut in the back of her skull. And then there's on Heil and um, there's Holly and there's Phoenix. Phoenix was born on call, which means he was. they were still in the amniotic sac. And it's just so gruesome, you know. There's nothing you can really say. And it's just completely traumatized a lot of the activists because obviously we know that we're fighting for the lives of children, but to hold their dead bodies and know that that's the first time they've ever been held with any type of love or care is absolutely devastating. And I just know that Teresa and Lauren and the other activists who have seen the children have just been going through it and trying their hardest to push for justice while also trying to address this emotional toll that's been taken on them by seeing the effects of abortion firsthand. I can't imagine seeing that. I saw the pictures and I couldn't believe that they were real. I could believe, but it's just like you said, you you hear about all of this stuff going on, but to actually see it is just, um, it, it really, it's surreal. Um, and so I can't imagine what they're going through. I know that there was a lot of um, pushback, even from pro-lifers that I've seen in the comment section on the internet. I watched uh, Teresa and Lauren's press conference um, and they did a phenomenal job explaining everything. I know there were a bit of concerns. Um, what I had seen in the comments was people were saying, well, why did they even bring them to their apartment? And as you shared, it was for burial. They documented everything. Um, and would is there anything um that you would say to those people who kind of are pushing back who are saying that they're pro-life but they're pushing back against um the work that Teresa and Lauren did to bring this to light um what would you say to them there's a litany of concerns about you know whether they should have asked for the box or why they had them in her apartment and you know I can answer all those questions like you said they were intending to give the children a proper funeral and burial, but they themselves didn't even know what was going to be in the box. So until they opened it and found the remains of five children who were likely killed illegally, 
they they didn't have any idea what they would find. So they held on to the body for a couple of days while trying to find a private pathologist who could examine it and determine whether or not the children were killed via illegal partial birth abortion or left to die after being born. But what I can tell you is that Lauren and Teresa did absolutely everything that they possibly could have done to uphold the dignity of these children and make sure that the humanity that was erased from them by Cesare Santangelo was restored. And it's really difficult. And it's really, well, I guess it's really easy to look in retrospect and be like, yeah, well, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done this. But have you ever seen a dead body? I, I myself, I've never seen a dead body in person. And I couldn't imagine the horror of not only seeing a dead body, but seeing 115 dead bodies and just not knowing what to do or not knowing who to go to. So, you know, I understand people have concerns about those things, but Lauren and Teresa haven't broken any laws in obtaining the box. They, you know, they were given consent by the truck driver to take the box. And from there, they gave a proper funeral and burial to 110 of the children and turned over the bodies to law enforcement. And a lot of people have been kind of confused about what happened in terms of the police coming to Lauren's house. Well, that's kind of the point. Um, you know, we feel that it's been just completely unfairly documented when it comes to the media and how they've covered it because the FBI never entered Lauren's home. And the only reason the police came and took the children from her home is because she them, herself asked them to take them. She called and said, these children were likely killed illegally and we want an investigation. Mm -hmm. We couldn't find a pathologist ourselves. So we're giving it to the DC homicide department. And, you know, I think that it's easy to sit around as a person who, you know, at least cares about abortion in some capacity, but at the same time, not do anything because until you see what it's like, and unless you're personally touched by it, it's easy to, you know, judge what other people do when you would never know how you would respond in that situation. So I think it's important that, you know, people think about that for a second and put themselves in other people's shoes. Because if you found a box of 115 dead children, I doubt you would be thinking with your utmost clarity. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think people definitely need to um, take into consideration the severity of what's going on and the seriousness. Um, something that I remember you said last time was um, along the lines of, we don't really have time to waste their children literally dying. And that's something that it's yeah. so easy to lose sight of because it seems so far away. But in reality, it's happening in our communities every single day. Um, Kristen, you mentioned illegal, that they were illegally aborted, um, partial birth abortion. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that? Recently, I was actually speaking to someone who used to work for Planned Parenthood, and um, that person was actually okay with abortion up until the baby's out of the birth canal, um, which is a whole nother conversation in itself. But for those people who are kind of in that camp, or they don't even realize that there's an illegal type of abortion. Can you kind of just share why it was an illegal abortion? Yeah. And just quickly, I kind of wanted to touch on what you said last about, um, you know, people putting themselves in other people's shoes or like understanding the severity of the situation. I've seen so many people talk about, you know, how they feel morally about how the box was obtained or what they did with the box. But I don't see those same people talking about the fact that Santangelo did kill again. When, a reporter went back to the abortion facility just two days. I think it was April 7th she went there to demand to speak to Santangelo. She witnessed a woman very late in pregnancy, clearly showing writhing in pain in the hallway as her child was being killed in an abortion. 
And so Santangelo has already killed another child, just like the five we saw, who we're never going to get to name, who we're never going to get to see, and will never have justice for them. And so people need to kind of step back and understand that their outrage and their discomfort can wait at least until these children are safe. And on that, yeah, let's talk about illegal abortion. So federally, it is a crime to commit what's called a DNX abortion or a partial birth abortion, which basically means you put the child in a position to where they come out feet first, and then you deliver all of them except the head, you cut the back of the neck, and you sometimes remove the brain, sometimes not. But, you know, they basically kill the child by having them mostly born, and then they remove the brain by cutting the back of their neck or snipping the spinal cord. And that is a federal crime. Additionally, if a child is born alive during an abortion, you are required to give them the same medical care as any other child who was born in any other circumstance, which, you know, that's a great law, but the law that's in place that says that also has no enforcement mechanism. So if you do leave a child born to die, yeah, it's a federal crime, but there's no consequence. There's nothing that they can do to you in terms of putting you in jail or giving you a fine or anything. So an abortionist can very well do that. And there's no way for, there's no protocol to find out whether or not they're doing that. There's no infrastructure to get an investigation and there's no consequences if it's found that they did do that. So, um, but yes, those are different types of illegal abortions or infanticide, but it's very likely, especially because the injuries that one baby named Harriet sustained where the back of her head was cut open and her brain was removed. Yeah, I saw that image and I believe I actually saw it um, on your Instagram story when you were talking about it. And um, I think that that's just something people need to be aware of that I abortion at all stages of life is wrong um, and it's evil and it's horrendous. But to see this, we've drifted so far as, as a society where babies are literally being birthed and then killed, but because the baby's still partially in the birth canal, it's not, it's, people are somehow okay with it. Um, that's just mind-blowing to me. Um, and so since then, I know for a while, um, I believe you were at the mayor's, in front of the mayor's office, um, trying to get the police to investigate. Um, have you, have, have you, has Pow had any luck with that um, in terms of an investigation or anything? Right now, we have had a couple of letters that were written by Congress people um, to the DOJ, to Mayor Garland, to Mayor Bowser, who is the mayor of D.C. And, you know, we've even had Ted Cruz write a letter saying, I want these bodies to be preserved because I intend to do congressional hearings about how they died. So that's what we know right now. We did get a letter back from Mayor Muriel Bowser publicly saying that we were anti-abortion extremists who had tampered with fetal remains, um, but she, you know, intends to do no investigation. And the police even said that they don't intend to do an investigation. And the only thing that they want to investigate is how the box was received, even though, you know, wow. they could literally go to any surrounding business and find the video footage and find that exactly what Teresa and Lauren and said happened, or they could ask any of the people who witnessed it at the bus stop that was right next to the abortion facility that all witnessed them receive the box. So they could do that, but they're not going to because they're going to sit around and they're going to cover up for these abortion giants who would rather profit off of the killing of people of D.C. than they actually would rather pay for, you know, affordable housing, clean water and different resources that could have possibly prevented these people from even 
wanting an abortion in the first place. But it's a strategical tactic to make themselves look better. And Mayor Muriel Bowser is running for re-election and was even just in the last couple of weeks endorsed by the pro-abortion organization Emily's List. So I don't think she intends to speak out about this at all, regardless of the fact that we've all seen the photos and videos. And what's important now is to continue to call the medical examiners in D.C., to call Mayor Muriel Bowser's office, to call the D.C. police, and to post about it every single day, whether that's just sharing the same photo on your story over and over and over again. This cannot be another part of the news cycle because this is indicative of a larger issue. This is thousands of children who face the same fate every single year, and we can't let it become part of this political tool or 24-hour news cycle. These are human lives. And to some people who are thinking, you know, this is a political issue, I think abortion is a human rights issue. And I think that that's why so many people on the left and the right can agree that this is a human rights issue. (laughs) But what would you say to those people who still have seen the images, who are just in denial that this is a conservative issue, even though literally POW is progressive and left-wing, just what would you say to encourage them um, or just to call them out and to wake them I think that they have abandoned their own oath to protect the safety of pregnant people. Because often what pro-lifers and pro-choicers can agree on is that at least we want to see women and people who get pregnant, we want to see them safe. We don't want to see them die in boxed abortions. We don't want to see them do back alley abortions. But if they're not calling for an investigation, they're not doing that. Cesare Santangelo is known for his horrific botched abortions. He botched an abortion so badly once that a woman ended up with fetal remains in her lung. He induced an abortion on a nearly full-term baby who was then born in the toilet of a public restaurant. Her name is Philomena Grace. And the fact that people don't care about what could potentially be the next Gosnell and what I would say is the next Kermit Gosnell, who, if you don't know, is now serving life in prison for his medical malpractice and the death of Karnamaya Monger, they've just completely given up on protecting, you know, families. And it's so disingenuous to see them talk about caring about people when we get to this extent where people are being killed, like adults are being killed, and they're not even, they don't even care about an investigation. It doesn't matter whether you think a newborn is a human being. Obviously it matters, but even if you are one of those people who don't think that a newborn is a fully valuable human being, you should at least be able to selfishly tell yourself that your life matters enough that somebody in equal status to you deserves to have medical dignity. Kristen, I want to ask you this question because I get asked this all the time um, by people who are who claim to be pro-life um, and then a lot of pro-choicers. Their response is, well, this is terrible that this has happened. Um, this is horrific. However, if we make abortion illegal, there'll be more back alley abortions and more women will die and more children will die. Um, and what would be your response to that kind of question or concern that people raise? First and foremost, I think it's important to point out when there are concerns when it comes to that type of thing, because obviously we don't want anybody to die. We don't want people to suffer and go through pain. That's why we're pro-life. And, you know, a lot of the pro-abortion talking points and the corporate talking points that they put out there are based on false research. And, you know, the former leadership of NARAL back in the, you know, a couple decades ago even said that they falsified numbers when it came to illegal abortions because they wanted to scare the public so badly that they would legalize abortion. 
And on top of that, it's important to note that a lot of studies regarding legal versus illegal abortions don't take into the fact the most important variable, which is wealth. A lot of the countries that they talk about having the highest rates of illegal abortions isn't because of the laws that are in place. I mean, partially it is, but it's also because mostly they're doing poorly socioeconomically, which we know, according to even pro-choice statistics, are the number one reason people seek abortion. And on top of that, as an organization, what we're doing to prevent that type of thing is rescue. We go in and we talk to people who don't have any single person who care about them. We are the ones who step up. We offer them a rose. And it's such a small gesture, but for many people, it's the biggest act of kindness that they've felt through their entire pregnancy. And we've had people tell us, this is the first time I've ever felt hope. And so when we go in there and we disregard what the abortion industry claims as property lines and laws, and we can't be in there and all this type of stuff, when we disregard that and we put our freedom on the line to protect these people, it's because we want to connect them with the type of resources that will prevent people from getting illegal abortions. We need to address those causes, but at the same time, we can't, you know, just allow children to be killed because, you know, they're going to be killed. If there was any other law, like any type of murder laws, we wouldn't say, yeah, murder happens all the time, but we're not going to make it illegal because, it, you know, it's still going to happen. Like, that's not how it works. And if children are being killed they need to be protected under law. Absolutely. And Kristen, for some people who um, they want to get involved, they want to, you know, for they may be hearing for the first time about um, the rose gesture that POW has done, that other pro-life organizations have done. Um, would you encourage people to actually start doing that at their local abortion clinic? How can they do that? Can they um, download resources from PAL, from Pro-Life San Francisco? Um, what is a way that, say, if someone wanted to go out this Saturday and go to a Planned Parenthood, um, how could they do that? First and foremost, if anybody is interested in doing rescue, we would love to get in contact with them. We know that, you know, a lot of pro-lifers don't know what rescue is, and they don't know about the rich history of nonviolent direct action within our own movement. And it's so odd for me to see. I've talked to so many people in the last month, and I'll be like, do you know what rescue is? And they're like, no, I don't know what that is at all. So um, we recently posted a short clip from a documentary about rescues in the 80s and 90s and how rescuers were faced with police brutality. And we posted that on our Instagram. So there's a link there to watch the full documentary. And we will be publishing more resources about rescue and how to do those. But first and foremost, I think it's important for people to reach out to us because, you know, we've been through this. We know what it's like. We know the laws. We know how it's best conducted. So, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to us, we can definitely help you go down that path to nonviolent direct action. And I think it would it's just really exciting when more people want to do it. And we're seeing a huge amount of people who do want to do it. So I'm excited for that. That's amazing. I'm personally very interested. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, so I wish I was in San Francisco because then I can just join you all. Um, but I'm definitely interested in. So I will. I will link all of that information below. Um, so if anyone is also interested, you can go ahead and click on that link. I'm going to link Kristen's Instagram as well. So I'm sure you can email Kristen, reach out to her, um, and so. Kristen, just really quick, because I always hear um, this phrase, and I first learned it from how actually um, the in abortion industrial complex um, and kind of just how there's several systems that benefit from abortion. And I would just love to ask you that before I let you go, of if you could kind of just um, tell us what the abortion industrial complex is and why it's such an issue, because I think that um, that really that really touches um, a lot of Gen Zers because 
when they realize that this is a whole system that is oppressing babies, that is oppressing people, it's even oppressing women, um, I think that they view abortion in a completely different light. So if you could just share a little bit about that, that'd be amazing. I am really excited to tell people about this because I feel like I did a lot of thinking about how to approach the abortion issue from a progressive lens. And every single time I thought about that, I thought about you know, what system of economics do I think brings most justice to most people? And when we were founding POW, we wanted to make sure that the way we approached abortion was fundamentally different. And a lot of people probably think like, you know, they're just basically conservative pro-lifers, except they call themselves like progressives. But that's absolutely not true. The way that we approach abortion, the way we approach our anti-abortion advocacy is inherently through an anti-capitalist lens. And when we look at the abortion industrial complex, we are talking about the intersecting interests of different businesses, social groups, and private businesses who have an interest in the continuation of abortion and who benefit from the oppression of the unborn and their families. So when I thought so much about this issue, I realized that a lot of people thought that abortion could only be a religious issue, which is why I said, no, it's really important to bring up the profit motive, because mm -hmm. that's what I believe a lot of it stems from. When we ask a pro-choice person, why do you oppose abortion? They go, I believe in women's rights. And I think that, you know, people who oppose abortion are going off of a history of oppressing women, and we need to end that now. But oftentimes when you ask a pro-life person, why do you oppose abortion? And they say, you know, it kills babies. And you say, well, why would someone want to kill babies? And a lot of the time I found there wasn't a consolidated answer. People would just say, you know, it's the devil coming back to earth and trying to, you know, kill people. And for many people, I could see why that they would believe that I myself am an atheist, but I felt that as a secular person, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so I started to dig deeper as to why would anyone want to kill babies? And a lot of it I found is power and control and profit. And so when we found that why, we were able to find out who and which power structures benefit from them. We really did an in-depth training about the abortion industrial complex um, a couple months ago. We did a training in Seattle, and all of it is videoed, and it's on our YouTube for people who are interested. But we basically break down the power structures within the abortion industrial complex and the pillars of power that are within it and which industries benefit from it. But historically, we know that abortion has been used as a tool of racist eugenics and classism, and that continues to this day, no matter how hard pro-abortion politicians try to slap a stamp of progressivism on it, it will always be a tool of oppressors to oppress a smaller, weaker human being for the benefit of the people who, you know, are in power. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you um, shared that and that you guys are talking about that. That's one thing that really infuriates me is in minority communities, you see so many Planned Parenthoods in black and brown communities. I, you know, there's so many in my own community. I mean, it's really heartbreaking that people don't know that racist past, even classist past of, um, it's a lot of lower income that are affected by this. Um, and so as you were speaking, just if I could ask you one more question that came to mind, um, a lot of people say um, a lot of pro-choicers say well Planned Parenthood, sorry, Planned Parenthood doesn't make a lot of money because most of their services are not abortion. Abortion only makes up like a small percentage. I think they said like 3% of their services. Um, and I know that calculation is wonky, but that is their go-to argument is that it doesn't make that much money. How would you respond to that? Um, and could you kind of just debunk that? There is so much information out there 
on why that is false. So first and foremost, the 3% statistic is a complete lie. And we've even seen mainstream and secular and left-leaning news sources debunk that completely. The 3% statistic is based on a calculation of services that they do every year, but they don't count services equally. Every time they give someone a condom, every time they give someone a pregnancy test, that is counted as a service. So if you go in to get an abortion, they're going to give you, you know, a pregnancy test. They're going to give you specific screenings. And a lot of the times they give you birth control afterwards. So you got an abortion, but they're going to count that as four or five different services. And so the way they're counting that is just completely disingenuous and has been debunked so many times. And when you actually look at the pregnancy-related services, 95% of their pregnant patients go to get an abortion. And so out of all the pregnant patients, we're not talking about people who aren't pregnant, but they're pregnant patients, 95% of them are getting abortions. And when I recently was listening to the radio, I heard the executives of California Planned Parenthood, they were on the radio talking about how scared they are about all these anti-abortion laws and how could any abortion facility ever function without their main thing, without abortion, without, you know, all of their things that bring them money? How could they possibly function without that? And I went on the air and I was like, I can't believe you guys just admitted that. I went and I literally roasted them on live radio. <laughs> I'm like, you guys just admitted your whole scheme. We all know it's been about money. And there's former Planned Parenthood employees who have even admitted, yeah, we have abortion quotas. And, you know, Dr. Eleanor Dry, who is the um, director of the Women's Option Center and the abortion facilities within UCSF, she was quoted saying she wants to increase the supply and demand for abortions. So um. not just how they get abortion to people, but how do they get people to want more abortions? And um, on top of that, there's just so much evidence that that's their main profit. Like they can call themselves a nonprofit, but for many people, they don't understand what that means. They don't understand that you know, a nonprofit can still give their executives really big salaries and Planned Parenthood lobbies nearly as much as Chevron and other big oil companies. And people don't see that, but it's terrifying. And it just, it's a testament to, you know, their disingenuous lies about women's rights and about how they're going, they basically completely co-opted the fight for our freedom to be a fight to kill children. And I remember you saying, um, I remember you saying last time that you were on, you said my liberation shouldn't come at the expense of someone else's oppression. And I thought that line um, was just so, it, it was so important. Um, I personally am more on the conservative side and a capitalist. However, um, I thought that that was so bold of you to say, um, because that I believe is true selflessness. That is um, truly standing up for someone's rights, for human rights and being consistent, having a consistent life ethic. Um, and I think that that is super, super important. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and Kristen, where can people find you if they want to support you, Pro-Life San Francisco? Um, how, um, where can they find you? I'll also link everything as well. Awesome. You can find me on um, most social media platforms. I've got... Um, on Instagram, I'm Kristen Turner Life. On TikTok, I'm Elderly Fetus. On Twitter, I I'm love Kristen that. <laughs> yeah, I, it's it's a whole meme. But um, you can also find Pro Life San Francisco. We're on TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and we're at Pro Life SF. And then same goes for Pow, except we're P A A U now, so Pow now. 
And um, just kind of another thing I wanted to mention, we talked about kind of, you know, black and brown communities being affected by abortion. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Representative Trine McGee. She's a Democrat from Connecticut, and she just gave an amazing speech recently about the effects of abortion on black and brown communities. And as a woman of color, I just felt like her comments were so genuine and so amazing. So I think people should follow her as well. Um, she's on Instagram as at rep Trine McGee. So that's amazing. <laughs> I love like when I can hear that there was like a Democrat that like spoke on a pro-life issue. I'm going to go look her up right after and watch her speech as well. That is amazing. That is so cool and so inspirational. Thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for the work that you do with POW and for Pro-Life San Francisco. Um, I don't think any pro-life organization has impacted me the way that you guys have. So thank you. You guys are inspirational and, um, I hope to have you on again. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that.